Um, verse 11 is all we're going to cover tonight, and there is enough there to keep us busy, I, I promise you. Uh, let me read you Well, let me begin reading at verse 5, and then verse 11 is what we're going to look at, but it really needs to be put at least in the paragraph in which you found it, find it, so let me do that. Um, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Uh, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead and deed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, this uh, is a very, uh, uh, not not a pivotal, but an interesting verse in the book of Romans because it is the first word of exhortation in the entire book of Romans. The first uh, exhortation that you get in the book of Romans finds here. Until now, it has all been doctrine. It has all been indicative as opposed to hortatory, if you know what I mean. He is now calling you to something, whereas before he has been laying the foundation. He has been laying the groundwork. All has been theological and indicative. But in verse 11, he calls you to something. And it's very, I I think, important that you understand what he is calling you to. Um... Let me uh, mention a couple of three principles that I hope will guide our discussion and will uh, help you better understand what you're being uh, exhorted to do. First of all, uh, what we have been saying for weeks, yea, even months, is that what is true of Jesus Christ is true of us because we are joined to him. We are in union with him. That's what we've been talking about for weeks. These words that begin verse 11, likewise you also, make this clear that uh, this is another reminder that um, uh, what is true of Jesus is true of us because we are, as I said, united with Christ. Um, this statement in verse 11 is, and this is the second principle that you've got to get straight, this, this um, uh, statement in verse 11 is entirely non-experiential. Let let me try to explain. That is, you do not reckon, you do not tell a man to reckon an experience. You are being told to reckon something. Well, you don't tell a man to reckon an experience. Uh, The experience that we'll come to later on is the outcome of an understanding of truth. For instance, you all know the text, I hope, in John 8, where we are told, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, by knowing something, it gives and leads to an experience. This text is not asking you to experience anything. It's asking you to reckon something. The verses, or verse 11, 
does not deal directly with the question of holy living. Um, what is in verse 11 will lead to holy living. But it is not, it is not exhorting you to, um, to an action. It's ex- exhorting you to a reckoning, to a reckoning of truth. And then the third principle that you've got to keep in mind is um, we are not being commanded in this text or any place else. We are not being commanded to become dead to sin. We are being taught we already are dead to sin. You are not being asked to deaden yourself. You are not being told to go get dead. You are being taught that you are dead. It is not by reckoning uh, these things to be facts that they become facts. They already are facts. Now, uh, if you can store that away, maybe that'll help you understand what you're being uh, asked to, what you're being exhorted to do. The word reckon uh, is in the imperative. It's in the, uh, uh, it's in the present tense, which means that there's an ongoingness. There's a go on reckoning. Uh, to reckon is to regard oneself as something. The best uh, illustration that I could find, uh, which I think will help you, uh, I hope it will, is really found in um, Romans 3, verse 28. If you'll look at that just real briefly, uh, because the word that you find in Romans 3, 28 is the word that you find in Romans 6, 11. When, when Paul in Romans 3.28 says, Therefore we conclude, that's uh, Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude. You see it open in that verse? That Greek word that is found conclude in Romans 3.28 is the same Greek word that you find over here in 6.11 being told reckon. If you wanted to, you could translate uh, Romans 3.28 this way. You could say, Therefore we reckon. Or you could come to Romans 6.11 and say, conclude. It is in the imperative. It is in the present tense. So go on concluding. Go on reckoning. Go on regarding yourself. Go on considering yourself as something. It is asking you, it is calling you to accept the truth that you have been being taught in the first ten verses, and then draw the inevitable conclusions that will come from the truth that you have been being taught in the first ten verses. As a result of what you've been being taught in the the first ten verses, reckon yourselves that which I have been being, which I have been teaching you. Uh, that's what, I mean, Paul is concluding his little argument by saying, all right now, based on what I've been teaching, consider yourself, conclude your, uh, of your, think of yourself, regard yourself as that. It is calling us to accept a truth that is true about us. He, the text says, reckon yourselves. Interestingly enough, the, um, the Greek there is in the reflexive. That is, it's, it, it should be translated something like, uh, reckon you yourself. It is intensified uh, in the reflexive. That is, so he is uh, calling you to consider something uh, about yourself. That is, the essential part of you. That, that part of you that came from God and that will one day stand uh, in the presence of God. Consider you, yourself, or reckon yourself 
to be dead. Now, we'll get to that in just a second, but I want to just point one other thing out. Uh, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The King James, if you've got a King James in your lap, um, there is an unfortunate uh, English translation in there because he, uh, they use the, word, the English word through Christ Jesus. No, ladies and gentlemen, the whole idea of this paragraph is that everything that is true about Jesus Christ is true about me because I am in Christ Jesus. Everything that's true about him applies to me because I am baptized into Christ. Why am I dead to sin? Because I am in Christ. The Greek little preposition there is in, not dia, uh, but that hopefully is, will help a little bit. Now, we get to the, the, the heart and meat of the matter. What are you being asked specifically to reckon, to consider yourself? What are, what are you being asked to consider true about you yourself? What is it that you are being told that you can conclude is true about you? This is what you can consider to be true about you. To be dead indeed to sin, one, and alive to God. Now, gang, it's important here. This is not a command for me to die. Uh, nor is it asking me to reckon that sin as a force and influence in my life is dead. It is asking me to consider and conclude that I, this person that makes me Jimmy Young, and this person that will one day stand in the presence of God, is dead to sin in Christ And alive to God in Christ. We are to reckon as true about ourselves, not something that we want to be true, but something that is actually true of us. Now, what is it that is true about us? Well, it is that we are dead to sin. It is a description, ladies and gentlemen, of your position it is, a, it is a description of your condition as you um, uh, are viewed in the eyesight of God. You are to consider yourselves and conclude that you are dead to sin. I am now in a whole new kingdom. I'm no longer in the realm of sin and death. Now, guys, um, you don't experience, you don't have feelings about your position. You are told that it is true, and then in this text, you are being told to believe it. You are being told to reckon this, to conclude this is true about you, what I've been teaching in the first ten verses, that is, Paul says, and that truth is that you are no longer In a dominion of darkness and sin, you are no longer uh, in a realm of sin and death. You are your your position is that you are dead to sin and alive to God. Sin can never make it make you its captor again because you are dead to that, and you are dead to that 
in Christ Jesus. Now, guys, in some form or other, you've heard me say that on numerous occasions in the last few weeks. And there's a sense in which I think the reason that Paul repeats himself, and the reason you've heard me say it several times, is because Paul says that several times. And I'm simply trying to teach you what Paul said. And the reason that he repeats it, I I, I think that the, the reason that it is so necessary to repeat it over and over and over again is because that the truth is so vital and it is exactly the place where the devil would, would hinder you in your whole understanding of who you are and where you stand and what your position in Christ is. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that it's repeated because it's so important. And because it is so important, it is the object and subject of attack uh, on the part of the enemy of your soul. Gang, When a Christian sins, and we do, don't we? When a Christian sins, we do so not as a slave to sin, but he sins as one who is a free man who is choosing to do what he knows is wrong. That's a vast difference than being a slave to sin. You know, I I hate this term. I um, we we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt here in in Memphis, and the term backsliding is used quite frequently. But unfortunately, I'm wrong. It is a biblical term, you know. And Israel is called backslidden. What is a backslidden Christian? Well, he is one who is who has fallen into sin. The distinction is that in the midst of his backsliddenness, there is at least eventually, a real lack of enjoyment. That is, uh, there is a certain misery as a Christian goes on in his sin. Um, A non-Christian is not so miserable. In fact, there is a a measure of getting away with something or a, a degree of enjoying it. Um, you know, I've, I've used this rather uh, repeated illustration. It's a rather crude one, uh, but it's it's um, it's the difference between a um, uh, well. Let's let's put it like this. Let's imagine that I get up in the morning and I uh, uh, live in the suburbs and I am headed out to work early one morning and I slip and fall into a mud puddle on the way to my car. Well, that's disgusting to me, and I get myself, pick myself up, and I, I brush myself off and clean myself off as best I can, and then move on to go to work and accomplish the goals of the day. But about 20 minutes after I leave, my little uh, grandson, uh, who is uh, almost three, sees the same puddle, dives into the puddle, wallows around in the puddle, and enjoys being in the puddle. Is just having a good time while he's in the puddle. Well, that's a distinction. A Christian, does he fall into the puddle? Yes, he does. And it brings a certain misery when he does. Um, Being aware that I am rebelling at at love um, is not an enjoyable thought for the believer. But for the non-believer, that thought doesn't exist. Gang... um, we, this text is simply telling you or reminding you or, or, or commanding you to remember that your position is the same 
even at the moment of falling into that mud puddle. Even in the midst of blowing it. And there's been some people to blow it in here, haven't there? In the midst of blowing it, you need to remember that you yourself, the very thing that God created and that will stand before Him one day, if you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. Now, the second thing, of course, is that you are alive to God, which means that... um, that I am a part of the uh, the eternal purposes of God uh, to save me, and he's going to see to it that I am. But here's where I want to spend the rest of our time. What, how does this, this exhortation help me in my fight against sin? How does reckoning myself to be dead to sin but alive to God, how does that help me practically when it comes to the, 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 the fight that I'm in against sin? And I think you all, anybody who has been born of the Spirit understands that we're in a fight against sin. Um, sin that lies in our, in our body, which we'll talk about next week, uh, the temptation that's all around us. How does this text, verse 11, help me in my fight against sin? I want to mention five or six or seven things that, that, that should help. If you get this down, conclude, consider, think of yourselves, adopt this truth about myself, this is how it should help. Number one. If you reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God, the next time that you fall into sin, you will not raise the question as to whether or not you've ever been a Christian ever before. And I'm telling you guys, that is a plague among believers. If you will reckon yourself dead to sin, conclude that that is true about me, my position before God then the next time that we blow it, and that's probably sometime tomorrow, then you won't, you won't wrestle with the question as to whether or not you've ever been saved or ever been a Christian or not. You do not go in and out of grace, ladies and gentlemen. You are either under the dominion of sin and Satan, or else you are under the dominion of grace. You know, when my, when my daughters sinned, and they... And they uh, um, did their share and continue to, uh, it was displeasing to their parent, um, but you didn't, they didn't get washed out of the family. Guys, the, the point is, if you get this Romans 6, 11 down, in fact, guys, there's really very little that I know of that is more liberating to a Christian's advance than the truth that's contained in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. If you can adopt this truth and reckon it, conclude it, that this is what is true about my position in Christ, then the next time that you blow it, you won't be wrestling around with, I wonder if I've ever been a Christian or not. Secondly, this is where I have such trouble. This text, I think, will give us a right view of ourselves and our standing regardless of our feelings. And that's what gets me in such trouble. Is um, 
I don't know whether they're feelings or whether they're thoughts or whatever they are, but this is the thing that Paul says is true about me. And this is what I have got to wrap my spiritual brain around in the midst of emotions and feelings that torment me. Guys, um, if you've ever been in a period where you did feel like you blew it, I can tell you that the hardest time is at night. That's when the fangs of the devil get bigger, is at night, when you torment yourself with, or tormented by all kinds of uh, negative feelings. Well, I'm saying grab a hold of the truth that you're being told that is descriptive and characteristic and true about you in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. And I think it'll help you deal with some of those. Third, I think also another help it is, is that it removes the sense of hopelessness in my dealings with the power of sin in my life. Anybody got any bad habits in here? No. Uh, anybody ever said, uh, I'm just not going to do that ever again, and then bang, in a matter of hours. There it is again. Well, guys, um, this, is a, this is a text that tells you, yes, I am struggling with this Achilles heel, but it doesn't affect my standing. I am dead to sin because I'm in Christ. I say to you again, guys, there's nothing more liberating than Romans chapter 6, verse 11, to the whole Christian's experience. Fourth, um, I believe that, that, that Romans 6, 11 will give you something to say to the, uh, to the onslaught of the enemy in the middle of the night. I think it'll help you defy uh, the great archenemy of our soul. It'll give you something to say back. No, no. Yes, you're right. I did do that. I am guilty of that. I'm ashamed of that. But here's what is true about me. I am dead to sin and alive to God. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Not because I'm good. Not because my performance uh, befits that. But because in Christ, that's who I am. Fifth. Um... I think if we could ever get this down, guys, there is a, it would lead us to a greater measure of, of um, enjoyment, a, a greater level of um, joy in, in the Christian experience. Um, you know, guys, uh, there's a sense in which we have been absolute fools. We have been fools when we are miserable and, and introspective. And, um, and, and when we're in that condition, we're in no condition to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. But let me, let me just warn you. Introspection is needed in the Christian church. But only a little of it. Not much of it. If you are going to go search around in your soul... Every time you lift up a rock, you're going to find something ugly underneath it. I can promise you. Did I ever tell you my story? I think I did. I think I told that story in here about the guy. I, in, at, at seminary, we had to preach these uh, sermons before the whole student body, and it was just awful. But one guy preached this sermon. I never will forget about living in the Midwest. 
and the change of seasons going from summer to, to, to winter in the fall and, and how, um, how all the, the field mice and rodentia would head to their basement. And it was his job every spring to clean out the basement. And he would take this, you know, this light down there and over there in the corner is a carcass of something that's being nibbled on by something else. And over there is, you know, a little skeleton. My point is, if you take the word of God down into the depths of your soul, you're going to find ugly stuff. Guys, what we are being told is we are dead to that. All that, that dominion of darkness and sin and slavery to sin is over. And we've been a fool to wallow around in our own uh, self-condemnation. Sixthly, um, whatever else may be true of me, this text allows me to see that God's purposes concerning me are certain. That God is going to see to it that I ultimately make it into his presence. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I read through the Bible all the time. I, you know, I'm up pretty much earlier every morning uh, in the scriptures, and that is not said in any way to try and impress you. But um, um, sometimes I read the same stories over and over again, and I, and I keep wondering, all right, what, what else should I learn about this story? I know this story. I, you know, I got this one down pat. And I just recently started a whole nother move in the last three weeks uh, through the Old Testament and et cetera. But one of the things that I've come away with in my most recent study of the Old Testament is this. Read those stories and what you will see is the utter determination on the part of God to have a redeemed people. He is determined. He is determined, ladies and gentlemen, to have a redeemed people. And uh, Isaac tries to thwart him. Remember that story when Isaac says, uh, calls Esau in and says, Now, son Esau, I want you to go out there and, and kill some game. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be alive. You go out there and kill some game and fix it up for me and, and feed your old daddy because I want to bless you before I die. He knew that at their birth, at the, at the birth of Jacob and Esau, that Jacob was to, was to lead. But Isaac is trying to thwart him. And so what does God do? He uses a conniving wife, Rebecca, to come coat him with hair and cook the stuff, and they go in there and lie. Because God is determined. He's determined to have a redeemed people unto himself. And I'll say to you, ladies and gentlemen, were it not for his determination, none of us would make it. But what we're being told here is that in Christ, I'm dead to sin. My whole standing is that, that I am dead to sin. Did I blow it yesterday or tomorrow or the next? Yeah, that's, that all may be true. Whatever may be true about me, whatever you know about me is true. Okay, but God's purposes concerning me are certain and sure. He is determined to see me in his presence. What, what I want to suggest is that with this text, we, we cultivate the sense of adoption. We cultivate the sense of being safely in the family. And that I think is a, is a great need. One other thing, and I'll, and I'll quit, or a couple other things. Or seventhly, how I think it helps in this fight against sin is 
the, the more that I believe this, the more often I go back to it and rehearse it, the more that I go and remind myself that I am crucified with Christ, the more I cling to Christ. And the more I cling to Christ and, and enjoy that sense of eternal pardon, I think that from that flows these fresh supplies of grace to help me deal with the onslaught of my own sin. What I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that when I reckon myself and continue to do so, that's what I said earlier, it's an ongoing, continual process of reckoning myself. The more I do, the more I remember that I'm crucified with Christ, the closer I cling to Him and I, and I draw fresh support from the great provisions that are in, in, included in the gospel for me. And that couldn't help but help in terms of my own waging a war with Christ. Now, waging war with my sin. Guys, um, I, I've said this before, but I hope it'll, it'll mean more to you now. Only when my justification is rightly understood can my sanctification be properly executed. I hope you get that. Only when I understand the finality and certainty and sureness and safety of my position in Christ Jesus, only when I understand the grand and glorious provisions of my, of my safety in Christ, can I properly execute a holy life. That's the way Paul appeals to us. He does not give us a list that we can check off, but he says, go back and remember where you stand and who you are uh, in Christ Jesus. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, to listen to anything else makes us utter fools. You must listen to this. Listen, my brother and sister in Christ. Reckon yourselves. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Go on reckoning. Go on considering. Go on concluding. Go on thinking of yourself. And the more you do, uh, the more we execute sanctification correctly. I want to read you one quick thing from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, and I'm finished. Uh, it's rather long, but I think it's helpful. There is all the difference in the world between being in a given position and realizing you are in that position. Do you get that? There's all the difference in the world of being in the position and realizing that you're in it. Take the case of those poor slaves in the United States of America about 100 years ago. They were in a condition of slavery. Then the Civil War came, and as a result of that war, slavery was abolished in the United States. But what actually happened? All slaves, young and old, were given their freedom. But many of the older ones, who had endured long years of servitude, found it very difficult to understand their new status. They heard the announcement that slavery was abolished and that they were free. But hundreds, not to say thousands of times, in their afterlives and experiences, many of them did not realize it. And when they saw their old master coming near them, they began to quake and tremble and to wonder whether they were going to be sold. You can still be a slave experientially even when you are no longer a slave legally. Whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here through His Word that if we are in Christ, we are no longer in Adam. We are no longer under the reign, of, uh, the reign and rule of sin. And if I fall into sin, as I do... It is simply because I do not realize who I am. Realize it. Reckon it. That's the admonition of Romans 6.11.
hope that's been helpful. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray for, for us as your people. We are tormented by our own past, our sin, our, our temptations. And, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will allow us uh, grace. Grant us grace, O oh God, that we can come to the place where we heed this imperative on the part of the Apostle Paul to think of ourselves the way we are thought of by our Heavenly Father. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Grant us faith to grasp and enjoy and experience the liberating freshness of knowing that we are dead, no longer slaves to sin. We pray it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.